0: The kind of last chapter of the book is about Europeans, the kind of European reception of New York. And uh, what he characterises is this, like, mixture of jealousy and admiration that major cultural figures in Europe feel about New York as as this um, self-evidently incredibly modern city that's also kind of outside of the sort of conventional centre of the civilised world. And it's, you know, it's sort of interesting that definitely at the time, I think Americans... And that I am buying. The feeling of, like
1: inferiority, moral superiority, but actual inferiority, yeah. jealousy, all of that, that's all real. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> um, that's absolutely on the surface. Uh, like when
0: he sort of in his, when he sort of relates like Le Corbusier's response to New York, like, yeah, obviously that's yeah. what's going on emotionally. Yeah, yeah. That's, that I think is, is uh, indisputable. But one of the things that's interesting is that I think that like Americans at the time, and this is probably something that would only change after the Second World War, like feel this, kind of slight sense of like deference towards the cultural superiority of of europe and like the architects of the rockefeller center for example go on a big study trip together to europe and look at lots of modern like important european buildings to make sure that they're kind of across all of the stuff that's going on in the world. It's funny, isn't it? Because
1: they didn't. They don't seem to have incorporated I don't, I any of it. I but... can't grade. I can't yeah. grade the Rockefeller built Center. I haven't been there. Yeah. I really don't know. There's some things about this. Yeah. I, I find it pretty inscrutable. Yeah. Like, I'd have to go, and even yeah. then, I might not get it right the first time. But it definitely, it what it definitely isn't is like an overtly brilliant work of like sculptural modernism. No, absolutely informed in any way by the uh, genuinely interesting things that were... It's not like, although uh, European avant-garde were jealous, it's not like there's nothing interesting that they were doing. No. Like, Le Corbusier was a genius, and he was one of quite a few working in Europe at that time. Yeah. Um, There's a reason that these people were still talked about and that they're very important. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what they were doing on their study trip. I mean... No, having, a, having a lovely jolly, I hope. Expect, I
0: hope so, yeah. <laughs> Ray and the boys. Um, yeah, that's what I do. So the Europeans chapter is about is around these two figures, which are Le Corbusier and Salvador Dali. Guess which
1: one of the Rob Coolhouse likes. Yeah. One of
0: them he despises. Yeah, well, the He's two... doing the
1: same... It's worth saying Salvador Dali's uh, reputation in high culture it, uh, in the late 70s was as, like... Well, I don't know when he died, but he was been was just like a commercial sellout, a yeah. uh, huckster.
0: Yeah. Which yeah, is, so is completely completely... This, un... this is another reclamation job. Yeah, I mean, a lot of his work is rather horrible, isn't it? But there you go. Uh, and he was, a, he was a sellout, and he was yeah. a bit of a shit as well. I mean, the, the Le Corbusier kind of thing is all kind of on the surface. It's quite obvious. Like, mm. he comes to New York, he publishes all of this work about all of the things which are wrong with New York and why the future is all about tall buildings, but not like the way New York do them. Uh, you know, all of that is wrong. He talks about it like as a, as a jungle. He's saying what we need to do is combine those two things together from a combination
1: of the jungle and the skyscraper will come the perfect city on a hill. Yeah, a lovely... A lovely... Which is a jungle with skyscrapers in it. Yeah. But
0: his skyscrapers have all got to do the same. And they're all, they're all massive and they're all spread out. And, you know, he does these, like, sketches of Manhattan with uh, kind of radiant city-style skyscrapers incorporated on them. And he does these kind of comparative uh, sections of, you know, all of the cluster of all the towers too close together and then them, like, nicely and decorously spaced out. obviously, like, Le Corbusier's um, plan of demolishing
1: cities and replacing them with skyscrapers, I mean, we tried really hard, I think, to make this anything other than insane and horrible. (laughs) and um it is insane and horrible it's a big
0: idea i'm reluctant to condemn it but yeah you can see i mean um really <laughs> uh...
1: i like uh, not its spirit not i'm not talking about condemning its spirit i'm not talking about condemning it as a metaphor
0: yeah i'm condemning it as a serious proposal I, I which i think it is grotesque i wouldn't be in favor of doing it literally yeah
1: would it be a terrible terrible
0: idea obviously well, it really depends a lot on the city, but in most cases, yes. In, for example, New York or Paris, which <laughs> yeah. would be the two examples that we could see, we'd be discussing. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It would be, no, yes, it's a terrible would have, idea. That would, be, that would have been a bit of a shame, yeah. <laughs> Le Corbusier is kind of the guilty man in the death of Manhattanism. Ultimately, like, the end of Manhattanism is these sorts of Le Corbusier ideas, right? They're
1: yeah, in, in, the,
0: or, in the REM story...
1: What seems to me to have happened actually, in my theory of urbanism, yeah. is that um, the core of the cities got very dense, and they got very dense up until the First World War, and then they were still sort of coasting on momentum until the Great Depression, yeah, and then in the Great Depression, rather, the energy is taken out, yeah, and that doesn't come back in until after the Second World War, but after the Second World War, the energy is moving into suburbia, building these ridiculous like white flights, building huge motorways through the centre of town, yeah. and it's not an urban vision. Yeah, And the same thing is happening all over the place. Yeah, uh, People have got cars, it's anti-congestion. The reason that Rem Koolhaas is talking about congestion so much is because of all these people talking about how they're trying to get rid of it. Yeah. In this book, Rem Koolhaas is sort of suggesting that all of that's because of modernism, yeah. which is definitely not true. I think all of that's to do with like cars and economic conditions yeah. and it's not it's not because le corbusier didn't make um middle-class americans want to move to suburbia hmm. uh but anyway that's sort of sort of the postulated thing is that actually what happens is the energy yeah goes from vital native american new york yeah. spirit yeah. to the european corruption do you remember was it in when we were talking about SMLXL? Uh, Remco has has an anecdote where they're at, like, for Euro Disney, these Europeans are undermining the idea of Disney. It's like <laughs> no. the competition to build. There's the competition to do the hotel in Euro Disney. Yeah, and all these uh, like uh, like star architect, European star architects come along. And Rem Koolhaas is coolly hanging around at the back of the room yeah, with his proposal. Yeah. And then, like, the people go out, and then, like, the guy from Disney is like, these Europeans are undermining the idea of Disney. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, and in a way, uh, which is obviously something that Rem Koolhaas has to say, because that's sort of yeah. how he imagines the whole world as being, yeah. with um, Disney being everything good. Uh, and in a way, that's <laughs> sort of what he's described here is, like, yeah. these Europeans have undermined the idea of America, or, like... Yeah. America, the idea of Manhattan, slightly. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's been fluoridation, the purity of... Uh,
0: yeah, 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 the seed has been... The seed, the seed yeah, something is now lacking because of the, the cultural transplant. I mean, I think his reading of, like, Corbusier's encounter with Manhattan is... It's fine, It's yeah. kind of fine and makes sense to me. What it's pointing towards, though, is this, yeah, this kind of post-war disenchantment with the city and, yeah, the turn towards cars towards highways towards suburbia and um, i mean he even
1: says like the problem is that like, one of the problems that's experienced is you know the failing facades of these towers built mm-hmm. which presumably had these like lovely facade structures that he's talked yeah. about a lot you know these and that just makes you think okay this is like when you think of new york in the mid-70s you don't hear good things about what's going on hear of decay yeah no and uh, it that was, it speaks was cons- to be of a time of like people not maintain uh, like i reckon the very same buildings you go to them now yeah the facades are not failing because they've been maintained
0: yes no i think that it was considered to be extremely dangerous yeah at the time and indeed probably was i mean i think we're going to just have to read this bit not in order but the the story kind of concludes with the 1939 world's fair which is this moment looking towards the future, which is a future of cars, is a future of getting out into the countryside, and although there are, he tries to sort of single out bits within it which hark back to the various kind of dream images of Manhattanism. So these um, sort of like slightly updated versions of of the like Venice idea. There's a, a kind of diorama where, which I think is all about electricity where they were all sort of staring across the river against uh, this enormous diorama of the...
1: With these things, you often get like corporate pavilions and national pavilions. And that's obviously the corporate pavilion, the good sort for him, I would say. Um, And it's just, it's just, I don't know if it's Bell or... Yeah. Not Bell, I'm... Whatever, whatever the electrical... GE. Look at what electricity does in the day and the night in Manhattan. And yeah. it's a big diorama with like lots of little lots of light bulbs on bil- lots in it. of buildings. Yeah. Lots of little light bulbs and
0: things and they switch on and off. But I mean there's actually lots of other stuff in that there are bits in the that show that which he doesn't talk about, which I think but which I think are more prescient, like this one Futurama, which is literally the one of cities with enormous highways in them.
1: Yeah, the, and also towers that look really quite convincing the thing that's interesting about it is we would now think of that somewhere that's fairly horrible fairly horrible but quite accurate (laughs) yeah yeah no this is uh kind of eerie so like that probably exists in china yeah except that it's not big enough there's
0: not enough of it yeah well yeah or i mean like shades of you know houston or all sorts of places um yeah the buildings are the buildings are very like, yeah, noughties naughties, uh, East Asia, aren't they? He doesn't quite say it as such, but like that's that seems to be that seems to be what's going to assassinate finally, like assassinate. Yeah, he never Manhattan. quite wants to make the connect with a lot of his ideas.
1: It's like yeah. we had to describe his skyscraper for him.
0: Yeah, and we don't have him here to go.
1: Is that right or wrong? I want a yes no answer. Yeah, it's the same with this. He's not really willing to say that like modernism sapped, and he doesn't talk about this. Does he?
0: No, this one's not in it. But yeah, I, I he doesn't it...
1: talk about these things. He doesn't talk about the car. He doesn't yeah. want to mention the car. He doesn't mention... The name Robert Moses is not in this book.
0: Uh, I think it might be in the Coney Island chapter. Maybe. Maybe, but yeah. it's not
1: in this book in the way that you would think it is. Yeah, It's not like the counter-revolution wasn't occurring yeah. in 1978 in New York. It, w- it really
0: was. Yeah, no, he talks about this one, Democracy which is a kind of looking down on the city from above. A weak pun. Yeah. He does, the Futurama is the one which I think is actually, yeah, is that actually where, what cities are going to be like in the in the post-war. And he um, he doesn't really dwell on that one, although it seems to me to be much more of the reason that that kind of um, Manhattan modern model of urbanism uh, was going to come to an end. There are these two figures, and like Le Corbusier is one of them, and the other one is Dali, who really, he reads... This is where you kind of encounter. He uses the image of the Rosetta Stone at some point in the book, and like Dali is kind of the Rosetta Stone for Delirious New York. It's the way. It's the yeah. moment where he kind of tips his hat to what the m- whole methodology of the of the book is. Um, he talks about Darley's idea of the paranoid critical method, which is sort of creative use of psychotic reasoning, or kind of creative use of like slightly schizoid sort of reasoning where you allow yourself to perceive a myriad of uh kind of patterns and connections which don't really meaningfully exist but which are possible to kind of create and believe in through the power of uh of sort of observation and this you know pattern matching is a kind of innate sort of human capacity and you you first allow yourself to think all these mad things and then you kind of critically, sort of pursue some of them to ultimately sort of create this fantasy, but which seems to have some sort of foundations in in the world of evidence.
1: He describes this method, and he ha- and Rem Kool has also has lectures on those lectures online yeah. that you can see where he's describing this method and this breakthrough. Yeah, two things he describes Salvador Dali's description, where he's sort of describing like you kind of shatter an image. Like, turn it upside down, look at it. Yeah. And he also describes, which I think is a kind of metaphor for the approach of this to New York, how Salvador Dali arrives at New York, proposing it as a modernist city, and then discovers that it's really an ancient city. Yeah. He's, like, woken by the sounds of the animals in the zoo. He sees... He goes into a lift, and it's sort of mock medieval, lit with a candle. Yeah. There's a, a, a building being blackened with soot to try and make it look old. At a time when um, Europe is striving to be modern, then I'm like, what really is this doing for Rem? Other than a justification? Mm. Do you think Rome Coolhouse has actually learnt a new method of reasoning from this, or do you think he's just justifying what he's doing already?
0: Yeah, I think I tend to think the latter. I don't think he really does it th- this way.
1: No, he doesn't. His way of doing it is extremely pasticheable because it's actually kind of quite possible to do, which is where you... The difficulty is that you have to, like, know all this interesting stuff and then be able to put these things together. But to be able to make, to write this, like, exciting story using cliché and convention and and kind of, like... and then
0: It's much more of of a justification for the way in which he's, like, slightly torturing the evidence, isn't it? Yeah. That's much more what it's about. In terms of the actual conclusions that he's reached, those to me seem much more about reading several things in parallel. And, I don't know, it's a bit more like Exquisite Corpse than it is... um, You know, like swapping things between them, essentially. Like, the head of one goes onto the body of another. He's got a thing
1: he likes, and he can uh, kind of imagine, and he's trying to, like, okay, drop acid, go around New York, and imagine it as it should be, you know. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. Because the story he tells is sort of about a a sort of place. The way that it shifts in tone between kind of social history and this exotic thing, I would be... uh, it's so difficult because if I knew I would be asking a whole load of different questions if I was new New York at all. Yeah. But from the outside, it seems like this is a story that came with Rem to yeah. New York. Yeah. And then was kind of like grown from that seed up yeah. into the, the big thing. And he's ableing he's using New York as a justification for all the things he loves. Yeah. And as a hammer to attack All the stuffy old things he's bored of. Yeah. And he desperately wants to be... He's, like, really conspicuously trying not to be um, all these other people. Yeah. Because he's he's not only... He's trying not to be Le Corbusier. Yeah. But he's also trying not to be Jane Jacobs. Yeah. And he doesn't want to talk about
0: that. No. And he's trying not to be... Rossi or any of those guys. Definitely trying not to be Rossi. He wants who, to do kind of a version of historicism, which isn't the, you know, sentimental kind of yeah, historicism. Yeah, it's by the fact
1: that, like, the closest thing this is to is, like, Architecture in the City by Rossi. Yeah. It's just that that's for a different place by a different person, but... Yeah. Like, fantastical reasoning. Yeah. And actually, you know, I've, I've been to a couple of Italian cities since then, and I have, and I have thought about it because yeah. it kind of works. Yeah. And... I actually suspect that if you went to New York you would be able to get echoes of this place, yeah, because although it isn't I imagine how the city actually is, it is like a sort of potential what for you is this method, or does that does it have any relevance at all like
0: well it's it's a way of doing post rationalization isn't it it's a way of like you sort of suspend criticality and then you bring it back in again and um sometimes you just have an idea which doesn't really make sense but which is kind of attractive and then you figure out a way for it to be okay any of the ideas that like um manhattan is really a like radical project which should have a manifesto like obviously that's the idea that you have at the beginning and then you kind of sort of find a way to build the stuff that you know into a into a case and it's a way of post-rationalizing this kind of post-rationalizing methodology
1: I wondered if now, for us because like this was like a, such seminal text and uh, in a seminal text in the way of like it's something from the past when you're studying architecture that you haven't bothered to read, but everyone says it's important, which then must mean it's serious. The band The Beatles is spelt differently because they're a beat combo and it's a pun, mm. but you don't read that because it sounds so stupid because they they've got like a joke pun name mm. and they're such a big cultural phenomenon in history. Mm. Um, that like the fact that this book is kind of quite like a joke. I'm not saying it's not like a like significant like an exciting work. Now it's approached as like a major work of theory. Yeah, like a serious bit yeah. of avant-garde must-read for a young aspiring architect. Yeah, which is- and that's a funny. It's a difficult way to approach it. You kind of got to chuck that away. Yeah, it's not that. No. It's a provocation. It's silly. It's and very fun. silly. It's silly fun. and
0: clever and fun and... and it's powered by this like immensely enjoyable.: Yeah, ob- if observational... it's important, it's bad. but if it's yeah. not important, it's quite fun. It is really funny. There's a bit where he like, he talks about Le Corbusier, he talks about Le Corbusier having all the accumulated bitterness of an unwed mother. In its his kind of relationship yeah, yeah, to this yeah. this like Manhattan architecture that he sort of simultaneously is enormously inspired by and also wants to repudiate. It's like yeah, it's everything is kind of powered by this yeah, this like this sort of degree, wittiness and this I sort think of... the
1: degree to which Rem Coolhouse is a serious figure is the degree to which he's like odious and cynical. Because there are bits of it that are like cynical and horrible to me, but mm-hmm. it's only when you take it seriously. If it's a joke, if it's kind of catty, and then it's great. Yeah. But...
0: Yeah, I don't think you should take it too seriously. If it's a seriously. firm
1: foundation for something, or like a real proposal, it's, there's, there's some major problems with it.
0: No, I tend to read it in the kind of tone of his lectures, which are like full of... Yeah, they're jokes. Jokes, like they're very jokey. And um,
1: very... It's satirical and erudite and yeah. knowledgeable. Yeah. And he does get into the like deep stories that people don't know about. Um, we haven't finished this book. We're talking about it as if we finished it.
0: Oh god, do we have to do the? Well, there's a, f- there's a final bit on the U- on the UN building, but I can't even remember what they s- what he says about it.
1: So the UN building is Corbusier's struggle to impose first his vision of architecture. So yeah. it's a whole load of blocks, and his idea is that we're going to have.
0: I mean, this is another design by committee, isn't it? Like they when they were going to do first of all, they had to decide where to put the UN, and then they got all the these architects together and you know preeminent among them was le corbusier that like oscar niemeyer was also there i think there were lo- like there were loads and loads of these famous figures and i don't can't think of any other ones off the top of my head but uh and then it ends up being executed by wallace harrison who's generally considered to be not a architect of the first water so as as it appears in this book
1: there's various machinations around sight and things like that
0: but it is posited that
1: like really le Corbusier's. It's between Le Corbusier and the kind of and the kind of representatives of America, and uh, all the representatives of Manhattan. Le Corbusier wants this big space and the and the like a cluster of buildings, which is more or less what there is now. And then a big yeah. space and then another tower, which is another big slab, oblong. Yeah. Um, to create a kind of showpiece for the tower and the jungle is the postulation yeah. that is ultimately defeated and left with. Like the cluster of buildings that we know now, which has got this sort of sculptural low building and then a big office block. Yeah. At various points in the book, the kind of enemy of everything is grass. Mm. You exterminate life, culture, and interest, and you replace it with totalitarian grass. At the beginning in Coney Island, there was the idea that these par- they wanted to exterminate these parks and replace them with grass. And here it's the one. he Bussi wants to exterminate the city and replace it with grass. Yeah. Um, and it's the kind of fight back against that. It's yeah. that's going on. And then he goes on to discuss a little bit the Lincoln center. Yeah. Um, which actually he's very critical of. He may be, you were, you were saying earlier that he was, um, being positive about the architect of it yeah but my reading is that it is a limp in this book a limp like deflation the energy the core of manhattanism is gone because it doesn't have this kind of commercial content it is a series of cultural institutions and as such kind of existing in a sterile environment and as such it's kind of dead what it needs is commercial vitalism in order to be a manhattan thing it needs uh the dynamic of like all these independent people yeah. engaging in commerce.
0: Yeah, well, the thing is that it, in this new world of the post war, it can just be a cultural centre. Yeah. It doesn't need to have all the other stuff going so on. So, in the a same way, time. it's
1: kind of like the, the, the Opera House proposal, but without all the stuff that yeah. uh, he posits as
0: being great, yeah. which is the rentable space. All of the intensity, all the congestion yeah. is gone. And that's the end, or is it?
1: But it's not actually because they're, they're because as we said, it's not a book about just New York. It's a book with these paintings around it, and it's about Rome Cool House.
0: Yeah. So there's an appendix.
1: Oh no, we forgot the image on the. There is a whole. There's a bit more. There's, well, we we're at post mortem.
0: Oh yeah, post mortem. But the the I mean yeah, the last two buildings that are just described in the book. There's the X Y Z buildings. Which are adjacent to Rockefeller Center? They're a kind of expansion and, of it, and they're the buildings on the front cover of this version. Yeah, weirdly. And he says, and
1: that they are anti skyscrapers, basically. Yeah. That like these are everything that is in his manifesto has been rejected. Yeah. They are just excru- extrusions of the ground plane up. The most basic, the most atavistic form of big building. Uh, and that's more or less what he says about them. Yeah. The last surviving of his kind of heroic team is Wallace Harrison, and he has like a series of unbuilt proposals by him, yeah. which are kind of mega structural and strange, but still it's interesting to see because they're things that are clearly in a way from the like after modernism period, but they're still rendered by. Both. Paris, and that's kind of cool. It's like a different sort
0: of Gotham. But it is—it is an end, except for the appendix. Um, what should we do here? Should we? Uh, maybe I'll just read a little bit from it. He says, um, after the chronicle in post mortem—that's the last chapter of yeah. the of the of the uh, of delirious New York of the shriveling of Manhattanism, as if it had been too suddenly exposed to daylight. The appendix should be regarded as a fictional conclusion an interpretation of the same material, not through words, but in a series of architectural projects. These proposals are the provisional product of Manhattanism as a conscious doctrine whose pertinence is no longer limited to the island of its invention. So that's, that's what's going to happen at the end of the book. And what we have is a series of four strange projects by Rem Koolhaas and collaborators. And they exist
1: in a kind of strange way as well. They exist as a manifesto story, yeah, essay, and AXO rendered in very flat colour. Yeah.
0: So there's, the earliest of them is this one, The City of the Captive Globe, almost like an illustration of the thesis, of like part of the thesis of, of like his idea of Manhattanism. And it's a kind of slightly surreal and paper architect. And these projects, architect. by the way,
1: are not just by, I think it's quite born to so say, they're not just by Rem Coolhouse. They were with significant collaboration.
0: So this one is by Rem and Zoe Zengelis. Yep. Hotel Sphinx is actually by Elliot and Zoe Zengelis without Rem Coolhouse. New Welfare Island and the Welfare Palace Hotel are with kind of larger teams paintings by Zoe Zengelis and Madeleine Friesendorp, respectively. And then, yeah, they did have students and interns helping them. Yeah, this one is kind of comes I guess quite early on in the process that's eventually going to lead up to the book and in a way it's a kind of illustration of the idea before it's been completely formulated it's this it's this sort of I mean you can read a little bit of of the text which is sort of an idea of the they're all a bit like this the city of the captive globe is devoted to the artificial conception and accelerated birth of theories, interpretations, mental constructions, proposals, and their infliction on the world. Each science or mania has its own plot. On each plot stands an identical base built from heavy polished stone. From these solid blocks of granite, each philosophy has the right to expand indefinitely toward heaven, etc, etc, etc. And then what you have on these, it's like a, there's a ground plane. There are these very dark kind of plinth-like blocks. And then on top of each of them, sort of arranged a little bit like um, uh, exhibits in a sculpture gallery of some kind, are recognisable pastiches or articulations of of kind of um, recognisable architectural ideas. So you've got two of Le Corbusier's little Cartesian skyscrapers. What else you've got?
1: You've got something that's a bit like the centre of the Rockefeller Centre oh yeah you've got you've got a
0: Malievich architect on
1: you've got some blob texture yeah uh you've got something that looks a bit like future um
0: super studio super
1: studio sorry yeah um you've got some trees yeah um well that's that's enough i mean there's yeah. there's, there's more things yeah, and then in the middle there is his kind of icon of this project, which is globes. Yeah. So there's a recurring, there's a leitmotif yeah. of globes and spheres. It starts actually with the dome of the first yeah. World's the f- Fair, yeah. and it ends with the globe at the World's Fair of 1939. yeah, And that's like, going through a whole series of them. But it's also obviously the world being stuck in a box. And you can see here that, The ideas really are, like, this whole work of theory is, as it says in the title, retconning. Yeah. It's a retrospective. He's making up theories to justify a manifesto for a thing that's already happened. Yeah. And he's also kind of making up what it is that's happened. Yeah. And he's fine with that. Yeah. And I think... If you're doing if you're reading this, you're fine with that too. Like, or like at least you've got to be aware that's what's going on. His presentations are really abstract. They're axometrics and coloured and abstracted.
0: Palettes are kind of pastel. I mean, the the nature of axonometric is that you're generally It's the most unreal projection. It's, it's non spatial, yeah. It's um. um it's kind of yeah, it's a, a projection of sort of assembly. I mean, you can obviously show...
1: How to the, assemble
0: an yeah. uh, IKEA wardrobe van. Yeah. It can't show you... It can't really show you experiences, or it can only talk about them uh, in a very abstract way. Yeah. Um, you know, through, through kind of some sort of symbology, you know. But it can inform you about shapes. Yeah. It just can't tell you how big they are. It renders everything as a kind of chessboard, as these, like, little... Everything become mm. these little... Uh, kind is, of chess pieces, which uh, is
1: a much more avant-garde way than the renderings of these pragmatic architects who tend to render like in color and light, and which is interesting. But um that's all this is. It's very yeah. simple. It's like yeah. one and a half pages of text. Why do you think they're all on polished black slabs?
0: Don't know. It just because feels good, like,
1: doesn't it? You've got you've got a you've got a grid of a city where you just project the inside of the grid up a lot to yeah. separate it from the street or the ground level. Yeah. But anyway, that's kind of what he wants it to be like. Yeah, he wants skyscrapers to be architectural playgrounds. Yeah, but here actually the exterior expression is radically different, rather than the interior energetic core.
0: Yeah, no, that's all going to come later, isn't it? That's the at the moment they're pure icons, and what they symbolise are these this this kind of these
1: diversity of
0: approaches. Yeah.
1: Play, experimental play in a box. Everything is in a box.
0: Yeah. And there's a thing of, I mean, what they talk about in the text is this idea that the fact that they're all different is also reinforcing the kind of the system of the grid of lots of different things. Mm. The two are in a kind of... Yes, even. Yeah.
1: The whole thing is even and then each thing has got a freedom of a constraint, which is that it has to exist on top of big oblong. And that is the extent of the proposal. Right, yeah. we can do the next one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hotel Sphinx. This one's quite famous. I learned about it first because of the cover because it was on the cover of that book over there.
0: Oh yeah. So this is kind of a so it's for Times Square. And it's straddling over two blocks. It's kind of wacky and cool. It's, got it's like very a, period, isn't it? It's got like a big cylindrical tower and then it's got two funny little towers at the other end and it's got these two... It's this, The massing is sort of staircase cascading massing but kind of split in half with one going either way so that it's like a, a, a sort of scissors or something like that meeting in the middle. I mean, the story about this one is much more a kind of description of all of the different things which are going on inside its program like the facade is largely a sort of wallpaper of lots and lots of individual little square windows there's an articulation where you get to the the kind of top of the massing and where you get uh maybe on the a bit on the front of the big tower but there is a bit of that sense of the facade that doesn't tell you anything and then all sorts of different things going on behind it so what has it got in it? Uh, it's got... It's got a hotel in the main bit, and then it's yeah. got, like, a leisure bit in the tower, which is a complicated,
1: like, fun bathhouse.
0: And it's also got some apartments in it. Mm. And it's got all of these pools. All of the terraces which are going down are swimming pools, right?
1: I thought the pool was on the in the tower.
0: Oh, no, those are private gardens. They're like little villa houses with private yeah, gardens. The, the the steps. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. The pool's in
0: the tower. Yeah. So...
1: But crucially, this is a this is a Rempool house skyscraper because it is formally complex it yeah. is made of multiple towers, yeah the exterior belies the interior the interior occupation is very diverse it is a mixture of villas, a bit like his early on example of the idea of like you've got like these gantries and you can just build villas on them right at the beginning of the skyscraper zone it's got these different complicated masses where you can't really tell what's in them and then there's this um tower which is a kind of fun zone the head of the sphinx is dedicated to physical culture and relaxation the main feature is a swimming pool glazed screen divides the pool into two parts indoors and outdoors swimmers can dive under the screen to
0: either part it's almost, this one, the description is almost only like a description of program. The Sphinx is the only thing, yeah, it says the Sphinx is a luxury hotel as a model for mass housing.
1: Well, it's so, an image in a short text, right? That's, yeah. what, that's what this thing is. Um, yeah, but it's a
0: different sort of text. Like the City of the Captive Glove text sort of tells you what the idea is.
1: Yeah, but I think what the There's,
0: idea here is super clear, which is that this is uh,
1: like a series of things combined together that, he's, that are in the book. It's, it's the um, sauna gym tower with a, a sort of, like, hotel club strapped to the back of it with a complicated fancy shape.
0: Yeah. And jokes. I mean, there are parts of it which are, like, very deconstructivist, you know. You've got this sort of weird hole in the middle of the massing with something kind of poking through. And you've got this um, kind of gallery in the bottom, which seems to be uh, almost sort of dissolving or something like that. And you've got these kind of curious kinetic elements, which are very like seem to be drawing on like avant-garde architecture. Yeah, and then the the two funny the... mini towers are are quite novel, though, aren't Gimneys. they? Yeah, these sort of. Uh,
1: yeah. You'd see things like that in kind of funny avant-garde modernist things. The the problem with them, they're novel as a shape because they're not very useful.
0: Yeah, the super, <laughs> yeah anticipation of the super tall. Um, yeah. Okay. So do- I
1: mean what's going on with this is like it's it, i mean it's quite a cool project. Or the yeah.
0: image at least is a cool
1: image. But it's it's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do one of these. We're gonna yeah. take the brief you set us and we're gonna follow the rules, which yeah. you haven't articulated precisely, but we're gonna follow them and produce this thing and yeah. it's
0: cool. Yeah.
1: Um again this feels like an extremely well done student project. Yeah. Like you take you take you've produced an insane brief. Yeah by analysing something, and then you've executed the same brief and got something that looks really cool. That's, like,
0: great. Then there's New Welfare Island. So this is more of, like, an urban proposal for Roosevelt Island, this island in between Manhattan and... Is it Queens? Yeah. Well, yeah. They had developed a little bit of it in the post-war in um, what he obviously finds to be a rather unsatisfactory way. It's kind of channeling the spirit of the city of the captive globe again, isn't it? They kind of, you put together these, you lay out these sort of blocks um, and then there are various things going on on the blocks which are uh, like more or less strange or demonstrative. There's an idea that you would like put a bunch of buildings that were famous proposals that never got built in New York and like this this is where they can finally be constructed.
1: The rendering of this, which is... There's this mat of um, the blocks, which are just rendered as flat, grey on cream. Yeah. And then the various elements of the proposal and of other proposals are drawn in AXO and coloured. Yeah. And the water is blue, which feels constructivist. Yeah. And very, very period. Uh, and very uncongested, very diagrammatic. They're cool graphically. There's a tr- Two revolving doors at either end lead to ro- locker rooms. Locker rooms are also very important. Yeah. Um, pleasure zones. Inside the two halves of the bridge, one for men and the other for women, undressed, the sexes emerge from the middle of the bridge where they can swim to the recessed beach. Yeah. It Also, the proposal, I think, like sort of initiates a kind of seed crystal um, for a new bit of Manhattan and then allows the rest of it to be developed. Um, I think the idea is that, like, at insufficient density, the city is sort of bad. And that also we must resist the bozar instinct to plan. Yeah, to plan everything. The thing with the grid is that you set the grid and the air rights restriction... Or the grid and the, like, massing restriction... Give you, like, sharp constriction into which you can do almost anything is the kind of core of the idea. And he's wanting to, like, generate some more of that so that something else unexpected can occur. And more cool stuff, travelators and what you... And then there's the hotel.
0: Which is then developed as its own uh, project, project, the Welfare Palace Hotel.
1: So another thing that um, the Welfare Island is like is it's like Coney Island. Yeah. It has travelators and attractions and strange things. The Welfare Palace Hotel has got a sort of big hotel massing. Again, it's very like the brief for his skyscrapers. And it also has uh, a a perpetual recreation of a sinking ship. Yeah. uh, um, With different elements. The raft of the Medusa, uh, the painting. Yeah. It's sort of recreated... Kind of, you can be serene or chaotic like that. The the Medusa is a as a nineteenth-century um, French painting of a uh, depicting in kind of high classical style. There was a shipwreck, and then the survivors got onto a raft, and it got worse and worse, and then they ended up in cannibalism and mm. all. You know, it was this kind of story of terrible, the, the total collapse of society, and then that's kind of set against Uh, or that's kind of used as a metaphor for Manhattan, I guess. This, like, like, extreme collapse. He's, again, enjoying the theatricality, like the reason that the head moves in this Hotel Sphinx and the reason for the travelators is that these buildings
0: are um, works of theatre. And they're also channeling the relentless, like, um, energy of the city. Yeah. Yeah, the idea of, like, disaster. I think, you know, he loves the fact that in... The, there's the Coney Island attraction where you can watch people fighting a fire as a as a sort of performance, and the idea that people are enraptured by the idea of disaster, like disaster, is always on the horizon for the big yeah. city. So yeah, the yeah the the raft of the Medusa is is the sort of spectacle that um, everyone is watching from the is it sort of riverside nightclub
1: it's a theatre and nightclub restaurant the twin theme of shipwreck on a hallowed island the floor is inundated a stage is carved out of the steel hull of an overturned sinking ship columns are disguised as lighthouses because this is obviously inside the building yeah uh, frantically piercing the terraces guests can sit eat and watch performances on the terrace Uh, along the water, or they can board the lifeboats, luxuriously equipped with velvet benches and marble tabletops that emerge from a hole in the sinking ship to move slowly through the interior on submerged tracks. Opposite the sinking ship is a sandy island, symbolising Manhattan's virgin state. which can be used for dancing. And then you can also go over on the other side, so there's the original state, and then there's the raft of the Medusa side. Yeah. And then the image itself looks like Again, the thing is, like, you can't tell how exploded the AXO is. It's floating in black space with flat-coloured planes. The raft and things, like, are separated. Yeah. atomized, and the whole thing appears like it's hovering in space. The image is, like, super cool, like the other ones. But it isn't an image which has a clear metaphorical... It's not clear to be metaphorically interpreted. It doesn't seem human or party like or particularly theatrical. It seems graphic. It has like intense graphic qualities because of this kind of like detail. Yeah. Points of detail and points of space and like very sharp contrast. But it's not at all a humanistic response none of the proposals are they're all very um dry
0: that's part of the fun of them isn't them there's a kind of ironic distance and everything is depicted as like there are these little moments of sort of inhabitation there are actual figures or there are things which are sort of recognizably little rooms and things but yeah the
1: things that are described in the text are represented but they're represented yeah in a, in, a, in, a method, in a method that is more abstract than mm. the safety information card on an aeroplane. Yeah. <laughs> but with sort of the same flat temperament, you know. Yeah. And then there's the last one, which is actually not a proposal, but a short story.
0: Yeah. Lots of them appear in the drawings for each other. They're like a little set. Yeah, this is the story of the pool, basically connecting Moscow in the, the kind of in the avant-garde early 1920s with... The New York of the present day, which is obviously a kind of connection that's been latent all the way through the story. I guess this is another sort of little Rosetta Stone moment for trying to understand what the book is really about. The story of the pool is basically a bunch of avant-garde architects... Design and make a floating swimming pool, which he places, uh, you know, in a sort of context alongside all sorts of other things that people were designing at the time. Like people were literally designing sort of flying cities, or they were designing, yeah. you know, people were designing all kinds of amazing, kind of totally crazy stuff. And yeah, and his his uh, little fantasy is that they actually build this thing. When it kind of heats up in the sort of slightly more Stalinist 19 late 20s, early 30s, the students all get in the pool and it turns out if they all swim in the same direction that they can kind of drive it like a boat and so in the story they drive it all the way over across the atlantic which takes them uh, about 50 years and they eventually arrive, arrive in, in the in, then present day yeah in the then present day manhattan are greeted with sort of incomprehension people come like the businessmen come in and sort of try and start using the pool immediately there is no kind of grand moment of arrival nothing exactly makes sense they become disenchanted and then they drive off again. Yeah. And then on the way past, they run through the raft of, raft of the Medusa and sink it. Yeah. And that's the edge <laughs> of the yeah. story. <laughs> uh,
1: and it's, it's a satire both of Le Corbusier's arrival. Yeah. Of the state of, like, theory, where everyone kind of likes some of this modernist avant-garde stuff, but they're all embarrassed about it. Yeah. And it's like they like the idea of Europe, but, like, now it's just really passé and then it's also a bit like a story of aliens misunder- the like misunderstanding of alien of communicating with aliens i thought or like something that yeah. was like um riffing off those sort of stories of the time yeah or like you know two different cultural people meet and there is no comprehension i also hope that it's partly wanting a happy ending for these extremely persecuted avant-garde Russians. Yeah, I guess. Like, there's
0: a wish for at like, oh. But it's also, I guess it's also, uh, there's a pathos in the kind of inability of them to communicate with each other Mm. they're separated by time and by place and then there's this kind of and completely by temperament and then there's a kind of miraculous uh story which sort of brings them together but they can't understand each other it's a sort of experiment in a kind and then rejection of a kind of wish fulfillment i guess yeah Uh, yeah and i think it's sort of also satirizing interest in importing some of the valor of these the appearance of um of these sorts of exciting architectural visions yeah, which is the what he's real doing. World. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I get. I mean, you know, I guess there's an element of self satire in it. Or yeah, it's an interesting. I mean, I I enjoy it as a place for the book to end. This sort of it's a kind of mic drop, isn't it? That's the yeah. The well, end. I mean, the ending is that these two these two things that he's invented crash into each other and sink in the East River. And yeah, that's the end.
1: There is no easy way from the earth to the stars. In front of the Welfare Palace Hotel, the raft of the Constructivists collides with the raft of the Medusa. Optimism versus pessimism. The steel of the pool slices through the plastic of the sculpture like a knife through butter. And that is the end of Delirious
0: New York. That's the end of Delirious New York, yeah.
1: And I think really, like, if you want to know what uh, the contents of the book is, it's not bad to start with the title. Delirious... New York. Yeah. A retroactive ma- manifesto for Manhattan.
0: Good title.
1: <laughs> well, it's a title that describes what he's doing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's not uh, real. It's not like clear, conscious New York. It's a the dream. development of uh, an yeah. urban form in yeah. the first half of the 20th century. I can see why this was really exciting. Well, it's, it's funnier than the architecture of the city, for example yeah um it's certainly funnier than like jane jacobs or whatever it's much less political you don't have to you can kind of follow this with any political Thing as long as you don't take politics very seriously. The agency of architecture in this theory is just that you can make a cool, fun place. Yeah, you that's it. You're not trying to make anyone's lives better,
0: except through making
1: them more. Except through making it more lively. But more... it's not. <sighs> no, you're it's not... about like trying to.
0: or not trying to intensify the city. You're not going to heal the world, or yeah. He obviously got quite sick of talking about it quite quickly because even in the.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah. like, he got sick of talking about it, I think, by the time the book came out.
0: Yeah. and the... He was enjoying talking about
1: it while he was writing it. Yeah. yeah. But that's often the way. I mean, my God, once you've finished writing something, you're really sick of it, aren't you? Yeah, I expect so. Yeah, definitely worth a read, though. Yeah. I think we're both a bit uh, played out at this point. Yeah. So, thank you very much. Thanks a lot for listening. There are supporting materials available on social media. Yeah. There is extra content available on Patreon. Yeah, for money, money which provides the ability of this to exist. Yeah, pays for Matt and yeah, um, literally putting the podcast up and that sort of thing. We're very very thankful for those people that support us.
0: Yes, thank you very much.
1: I enjoyed doing this
0: series. So yeah, fun to talk about it. It's been a bit... uh, Thank you very, very much for listening. Thank you for listening. We wouldn't
1: do it if no one was listening. No. And uh, because... We wouldn't have kept
0: doing it for so long. I think we would have stopped. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Yeah.
1: And because of that, we've been able to do all these things, which has uh, taught me a lot.
0: Well, see you next time. Bye-bye.